So we talked last week about how loneliness and friendships is a, it's kind of, it's, it's a big problem, right? It's a felt need. How many of you, I'm going to do this again, how many of you in the last, I don't know, let's, let's, say, let's say three to four months, okay, how many of you have thought, said, or felt lonely? Anybody? All right, I see those hands, right? Just, just, just lonely. All right, so we're going we're to do this again, all right? I want you to look at somebody different. So if you, if, you, if you did this last week and you looked at your spouse or you looked at somebody near you, I want you to try to find somebody different, okay? You don't necessarily have to run around the room, but you can look in front of you, around you, behind you, okay? All those different things. I want you to look at somebody and say, you've got a friend in me. Go. Enthusiastically. Now, 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 back, 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 back. We don't have time. Come on. Cut it. Right here. Too friendly. Okay. Order. Order. Okay. All right. Back. How many of you shamelessly thought of Toy Story? Okay. Hallelujah. Praise God. You're in the right place. All right. All right. The question I want to ask as we start, as we launch into the message this morning is this. What does loneliness tell us about ourselves? What does loneliness tell us about ourselves? Okay, loneliness tells us that we are created for relationship, right? The fact that we long for for connection with other people, the fact that we long for relationship, it's proof of the fact that we're designed relationally right? We're designed relationally. And so at the core of our being, at the core of who you are as a person, is this truth that we are designed for and defined by our relationships. Now, I'm I'm sure, especially over the, the last few years, some of you in this room immediately thought, don't tell me what I'm designed for. Don't tell me what I'm designed for, right? I'm 38 years old. You can't tell me what I'm designed for. But we were born with a relentless longing to participate. That's a big word. We were born with a relentless longing to participate in the lives of others. So fundamentally, fundamentally, we are relational souls. Awesome. Hey. He's running his 5K like Kyler. He's, he was inspired. He was inspired, 2205. <laughs> so, English teachers, tune out for this next line, okay? We can't not be relational. We cannot not be relational. We have to be, right? It's a double negative, I get it, okay? But in fact, all of our knowing is interpersonal in that it emerges from a soul that is structured solely relationally. We can't exist well without connection and communion with one another. We can't. We can fake it for a little while, but we're lying to ourselves if we say, I'm good by myself. I'm good by myself. Now, I, 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 fear, I, I fear for us, and, and, I, and I think the effects are still there, and, and this is not a message that's launching into right, the, 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 the negative effects over decisions that were made around COVID. We, we did what we did for reasons, and we supported those things and all of those things, but I feel like relationally, we are paying the price of isolation. Because some of us, have forgotten how to be friendly. 
Some of us have forgotten how to participate and what it looks like to participate into the lives of others. Because for a long time, we were like, wow, this is nice. I don't have to do this. I don't want to go to that place, and I don't have to because, well, well, COVID, right? How many of you have realized that that excuse doesn't necessarily fly anymore? Awkward, right? And we realize, wow, I'm, I'm good like this. But let me tell you something. You're not. Because you weren't created to do life alone. Relational reactivity and alienation is death for the soul. It's a slow death, but it's death for the soul. We can't reach our full potential without healthy relationships. Now, you can underline healthy if you want to, but we can't reach our full potential without healthy relationships. Like an acorn maturing into a mighty oak tree, we grow into maturity through healthy relationships. Life-giving relationships are the source and the fruit of life. With others, we become more fully alive. And so deep and meaningful relationships are both the means and the result of living into our full potential. Let me tell you what I'm not saying really quickly, just so we can get this out of the way, and then we're going to dive into 1 John. What I'm not saying in saying healthy relationships are are the means to which we achieve our full potential. Healthy relationships are not defined by relationships that coddle you. Relationships that tell you everything you want to hear. See, See, some of us have cut the people off that we need the most because they were honest with us. Because they were honest with us. Because they stretched us. Because they pushed us. And so if you're looking for a title for this message and you're, you're taking notes, okay, there's two titles. And they kind of mean the same thing, all right? But I was talking with, with Kristen the other night and I, and I, and I was just t- kind of telling her what the message was going to be about today. And I said, I said, three relationships that everyone needs. Okay, three relationships that everyone needs in their life is what I said. And she looked back at me really confused and she's like, three relationships that ruin your life? Pretty much the same thing, right? So we're going to talk about that. First John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. And, uh, and read along with me if you have your Bible. If not, the words will be on the screen. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever has been born of God and knows God, anyone who does not uh, love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now pause, what in the world is John talking about here? I'm glad you asked. 
He's talking about the love of God. And much like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God, therefore, as his beloved children, what John is trying to get the church here to see is that we ought to love in the way that God loved us. How did God love us? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's kind of the whole reason we're here, right? The good news of who Jesus is and the hope that he brings, okay? And so, and so what John is saying is we ought to love others in the way that we have been loved, sacrificially. Right? Sacrificially. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. And that word propitiation, just real quick, means payment. Okay? A satisfactory payment for the debt that was owed because Jesus was the satisfactory payment in his sacrifice. All right, verse 13. You guys good? Oh, man, there's still some enthusiasm in the room. I know what it is. Patriots are off today, so y'all got nowhere to be. It's a rainy day. All right, verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also we are in this world. I love this, verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We are relational beings, each and every one of us, because we are created in the image of a relational God. What what is John saying here? Love God as he has loved us. Why? Because he gave Jesus. And he doesn't even stop there in verse 13 we, we see that He gave us the Holy Spirit to be with us. As Jesus said in John 14 and 15, as the helper. Right? And so we see this modeled for us. And in fact, Jesus prayed on His way to the cross that the church, that we as brothers and sisters in Christ would be one as He and the Father are one. And so we are created in the image of a relational God. Therefore, we are, guess what? Relational. Right? We're relational. So think about this. The, the Trinity. Everybody say Trinity. Okay, the Trinity. All right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Existing as three distinct individual persons, they share one divine essence, which is described as love. God can only be love if God exists in community. Let me say that one more time. God can only be love if he exists in community. 
And so as we see here in the love that God the Father, God the Son model, and then God the Father and God the Holy Spirit model, and is the same community that He calls us and encourages us to live in. The Father gives Himself for the Son, and the Son gives Himself for the Father. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? The gift of each other, the gift of each other for the other is personified and the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we're going to school for just a minute, and we're going to get really practical in just a couple minutes, so hang with me. Hang with me. If this is like, whoo-hoo, over your head, it's going to make sense in just a couple minutes, okay? And not only do they give unconditionally, but they receive each other in the same manner. Now, this kind of love is called what? Anybody know? Agape. Good job. Snaps. Good job. Right? Agape love. What's agape love? I'm glad you asked. It's defined as this, selfless. I know. Sacrificial. We got one more. You ready? Selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional. Yeah. Selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional love. Agape. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's a motivation for action that we are free to choose or reject. I'll, I'll never forget, sometimes, sometimes I, 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 tell this, I tell this story um, and when, I'm, when I'm doing pre, premarital counseling. Okay? Um, I, I was taking uh, an Old Testament survey class, Genesis to Revelation, in one week. Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5. We had a quiz uh, every, every day at lunch on the material that we talked about in the morning. We had an exam every morning on the material that we talked about the day before, and we had a paper to write every night. It was awesome. I'm, I'm a deep dive learner, and so for me to be able to deep dive into the Old Testament for a week and get an A was awesome, right? And so we did Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, otherwise known as the Pentateuch, in day one on Monday. And so you kind of got to know each other quite a bit throughout, as, throughout the week as the week went on because you ate meals right in the classroom. You didn't really have time to go out. You got like 30 minutes for lunch. You didn't have time to go get lunch. You didn't have time to go for walks. You pretty much like stayed in close quarters because you never knew when this guy was going to start lecturing again. And he had been married for like 89 years. And, <clears throat> and he, he had been in ministry before. And, um, and so one, uh, Kristen was in Maine planning our wedding. We were engaged to be married, and she was planning our wedding. And so she called me one day, and, and I was in class, and so I called her back uh, on a break. And we, she had questions about wedding plans and, and stuff like that. And I said, yes, whatever you want, whatever you think, whatever you like, right? And, um, and, and so then I came back in the, in the classroom, and he said, so you're getting married? And kind of sat back in his chair. And I said, yeah, we're getting married. And he said, I got a question for you. I was like, okay, what are you going to do when you don't feel like loving your wife? What kind of question is that? And who are you to ask that, right? Like, I'm about to get married. I'm always going to feel like loving my wife. Always going to feel. And he said, and he said to me, he continued on, because he could see, I think, the confusion on my face. He said, there's going to be a day where you don't feel like loving Kristen anymore, and you're going to have to decide to love her. That hasn't happened yet. So I can't confirm or deny what that professor said. 
But agape love, this sacrificial, this unconditional, this limitless love, it's not a feeling. We, we, can't, we, can't, um, we, we, we can't dumb it down to this feeling. It's a motivation for action that we're free to choose or reject. Agape is a sacrificial love. I love this. Get this. This is from dictionary.com. Nothing special. But it's a sacrificial love that voluntarily, voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. When is the last time in a relationship that you have chosen and, and, and intentionally placed yourself in inconvenience, discomfort for another? We are called to this agape love for one another. It's radical giving and receiving. It's perfect communion and union. Union. It's truly beautiful and good. And we can hardly stand a divided condition because again, we are relational at our core. We will feel most alive in healthy relationships, including but not limited to marriage. And we feel most dead or separated in unhealthy relationships or no relationship. I'll state it again. We cannot, we cannot live fully alive apart from loving connection with others. If you were to look up the definition of friendship, it's, it reads like this, a state of enduring affection, esteem, intimacy, and I love this one, trust between two people. That's how you define a friendship. A lack of trust in relationship leads to alienation. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. At the root of their disobedience was mistrust in the goodness of God. So, if we're going to relate well to God and to others, we've got to get to the bottom of our mistrust and find out how we can change. Because we cannot love well or be loved well without trust. Hmm. Pastor, you were doing so good until that right there because I can't trust people. Trust is the critical, non-negotiable element required for learning to attach well. Intimacy requires the capacity to trust one another's heart. I said something last week. How we relate is how we relate. If you look at verse 20, we see this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, uh, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If we don't love the people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? If we have learned to be unsure with others, we will be unsure in our relationship with God. Trust fosters an open, receptive soul that is able to give itself and receive the presence of another in a free, responsible, and loving way. Why? Because that's God's placement in your life. To be a mouthpiece of Him for your life, to your life. People are responsible for their behavior. Amen? 
and can change. See, mistrust leads to a closed, reactive soul that's unavailable to another. But people can change. Healthy and rewarding relationships are the result of both grit and grace. Let me define those for you, because we see those here in 1 John chapter 4. The grace, God's, merit, God's favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is simply defined as this, honor, favor. Another definition is to give beauty or elegance to. I love that. Dust you off, right? And then the grit is the courage and resolve, the strength of character. And so my question for you this morning is, are there people in your life that you honor, that you favor, that you, give, that you show grace to, that you have courage and resolve around keeping that relationship and not letting it fade away? So I'll mention to you three types of friends that everyone needs. You ready? To do this, we're going we're gonna to look at the life of David, King David. David wasn't perfect, but David is, 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 is described as a man after God's own heart. He had one well-known and significant failure and had too many successes to count. You guys know who I'm talking about? David? Okay. The right people around him helped him become the person he needed to be. And so the three right people that he had around him, number one was Samuel. He had a Samuel. Now, Samuel is defined as a friend who makes you better. A friend who challenges you and makes you better. See, God had rejected Saul as king. We're going to jump to 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 16. I encourage you to write these references down unless you want to turn there really quickly. But 1 Samuel chapter 16 says this, And he sent and brought him in. Now he was rud, uh, ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Okay? And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Talking about David. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, Jesse brings all of his sons in to Samuel to be seen, to, to see, excuse me, who was the next king. But he didn't bring David, little David, the youngest shepherd boy, right? Because he was supposed to be out in the fields tending to uh, t- tending to the chores. And there was no way that David was going to get chosen as king. And Samuel's, Samuel looks at all of Jesse's sons and says, nope, none of these are it. Saul has been rejected as king, but none of these guys are it. Don't you have another son? And he's like, well, I do, but he's out there doing the chores. We'll bring him in. And sure enough, sent and brought him in. David was ruddy, had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. People told me I have the heart of David. Beautiful eyes, handsome. I don't know really what ruddy means. I'd have to look at that word a little bit closer. I'd like to think rugged. Anyway, let's move on. But I want you to get the point. Not one person, not even his father, in David's family, thought he was king material. But Samuel did. God put it on one man's heart and looked at him and said, God's chosen you. 
His hand is on you. So I want you to think about the people in your life. Do you have someone that makes you better? Do you have someone that sees you when no one else sees you and says, hey, come out and play. Come out and play. Do you have someone that makes you better? Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So a friend sharpens a friend. The second friend that David had in his life was Jonathan. A friend who helps you find spiritual strength. See, David was anointed next king, war hero. Saul slain thousands, David slain tens of thousands. And King Saul is overwhelmed with jealousy and hatred. And then we get to 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 15 through 18. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. You see what Jonathan did? He gave him strength. Gave him strength. See, even, the, even, the, even those closest to God, even those closest to God, and I want you to get this, even those closest to God, and I would maybe even shift this just a second this morning and say especially those closest to God experience temptations and discouragement. In fact, in fact I, would say, I would say if you're not, you might want to look at the fruit. Those, those closest to God experience temptations and discouragement. When you're down, someone who lifts you up. When you're alone, someone who comforts you is needed, encourages you with Scripture, prays for you. And my question is, do you have this? Do you have someone in your life that points you back to God? Do you have someone in your life that points you back to God? That's a friend that you experience camaraderie, that, that makes you better, but also helps you find spiritual strength. And then lastly, number three, Nathan. I've already talked about this a little bit. A friend who tells you the truth. Now, I wish we had time to dig into all of 2 Samuel chapter 12 because what Nathan does here is comes and tells David a story. Because David and Uriah, and he's on the roof, and he sees, you know, and this, is, this is the one significant, you know, failure that David had, and then he goes and he sleeps with her, they have a baby, and then he has the husband killed so that he can go swoop in there. And so, so, so Nathan comes in and, 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 and tells David a story that's similar to that, much in the way that Jesus would, kind of uses alliteration, all those different things, and, and, and say hypothetically, right, if someone did this, right? And David's like, that's detestable. And Nathan said, well, that's you. The way you feel about that story right there being gross, that's exactly, that's exactly how I feel about what you've done here. And look at David's response. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. When someone tells you the truth, it's not easy, is it? It's not very comfortable, right? 
greatly kindled, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. But he goes on to say, listen, David, you're going to live. Not, with, not without a little bit of consequences for the, for the thing that you did. Not, not without consequence for the, for the sin that you committed, for the thing that you did. But you're going to live. Why? Because God's not through with you. God's not through with you. God's not through with you. You're messed up and God's going to deal with that. But you're the man God has called for this and he's not through with you. So, we need a friend that we can find spiritual strength in. We need a friend that will uh, make us better. And we need a friend who tells us the truth. My question for you is, what type of friend are you? Because this is twofold, right? I mean, we need all three of these in our lives. But also, if we flip the script, what kind of friend are we in the lives of others? Because Jesus said in John chapter uh, 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you. Sounds a lot like 1 John, doesn't it? So you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. What type of friend are you? Now, I want to get really practical with you for just a minute. Okay, there's 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 a there's a uh, acrostic. I think that's what you call it. All right, that I want that I want to teach you. Okay, you ready? It's called this. D, T, R. D T R. Okay, D T R. You might know what D T R stands for. Define the relationship. Now, Ian, I want you to come up here for a minute. I didn't tell Ian I was going to do this because I think spontaneous is always better. Okay, so Ian's going to come up here for just a second, all right? A lot of you know Ian, he's our associate pastor, okay? Now, DTR. Now, at times, okay, see, Ian, Ian, uh, if, if we were to be real, don't, hey, don't do that. Um, if we were to be real, okay, if we were to be real on our Facebook status about our relationship, Ian would probably put, it's complicated, It's complicated. Now let me tell you why. Depending on the day. Well, that's true. That's real. Let me tell you why. Because I have three roles in Ian's life. I play three roles in Ian's life. True? Yeah. Okay. What are they? They're not going to be able to hear you on the, on the camera, so let me just tell them. All right? <laughs> I, I play three roles in Ian's life. Number one, I'm his pastor. And to me, to me, to me, that is, the, that is the one that carries the most weight for me because I have a responsibility to shepherd this guy even though we kind of work together and there's this whole friendship thing and it's, it's complicated, <laughs> right? But, but I, I'm, I'm his pastor. I, I'm, I'm he and Bree and Emma and Audrey and Marcus's pastor. Uh, Emma, Emma had a spill yesterday and had a bunch of stitches in her big toe poor thing, and he sent me a picture when I was out doing something, and on the way home, I, I called him and, and checked on Emma, because I wanted to be his pastor and let him know that someone cares about his family and wants to know how Emma, little, little Emma's doing, right? And so I, I play the role of pastor in Ian's life. 
Secondly, and I, I, hate, I hate this word, so I'm going to change it really quickly, but the second role I play is boss, right? But, but let's change that to overseer, okay? You guys know that as boss. Let's do that. Or, or, the, or, the, or, or uh, you, know, you know a synonym for executive? The person upstairs. So I'm the person upstairs in Ian's life, okay? I'm the overseer. Is that awkward? I didn't intend that to be, okay? I, I, I'm the overseer of Ian's job. And that's awkward. Because sometimes I'm his pastor, but then I've got to hold him accountable for something. Right? And then it doesn't feel very pastorly. Right? It's complicated. And then there's this third role that we try to play. And that's friend. Right? Where I, where I try to be... And, and this is where my relationship status would go. It's complicated on Facebook, right? Where I try to be Ian's friend, right? Where I try to hear about some of the frustrations that he has and ask him about, hey, he goes and plays soccer on Thursday nights and ask him, hey, how'd soccer go? You know, what, how was the, you know, and so I try to be a friend to Ian. And so Ian and I have found, correct me if I'm wrong, later. <laughs> but Ian and I have found that in our relationship, it's really important almost before every conversation to DTR. To define the role, to define the relationship that I'm playing in this conversation. And so if Ian walks into my office and sits down and has a conversation, it's almost like we have to say, okay, Am I pastor? Am I friend? And, and I, know, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Travis, can't you be all three? No, that's the frustrating part, isn't it? Because if we would be, this, this whole thing would be easy. I can be all three at the same time, right? Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be, but that's not how God designed us, right? And so, and so we, have, we have to, almost every conversation, say, okay, Am, am, am I your friend here? And Ian will ask me sometimes when I'm talking to him, okay, um, am, I your, am I your co-pastor here or am I a friend? Do you just need to commiserate for a moment? Do you, like, like what, what's the, what is the role you want me to play in this moment? And I'm like, just listen, right? Don't you just want them to listen sometimes? Like, just listen to me. You don't have to fix it. I just need you to listen. Yes, sir. Okay. You get the point? And so I wanted to show you this because I think it's really practical because some of us look for things in other people and they have no idea we're looking for them because we haven't told them. And if there's a need that you know about in your life and the person that you're with and you're spending time with isn't meeting that need, the question you have to ask yourself is, have I told them? Have I communicated to them that I'm a sad human being, saved by grace, who needs these people and these friendships in his life, in her life, and I need you to play one of those, even when I don't want you to. All right, have a seat. And so, and that is a two-way thing. 
Because the part that you don't see is, is in order for me to play those roles in Ian's life, he's got to trust me. And so the question is, am I a trustworthy pastor? Am I a trustworthy friend? Am I a trustworthy overseer that's not going to ask him to do anything I'm not willing to do myself? And so, yes, these are three friendships each and every one of you needs in your life. You need somebody that makes you better. You need somebody that sees the hope in you, the light in you, the potential in you, and says, come on, let's go. You need somebody that points you to the spiritual reality of the situation you're in. That points you back to Scripture. That makes you spiritually stronger. That will pray for you. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. And in my Bible reading, I just read Lamentations. And two Sundays from now, I'm going to preach on Lamentations chapter 3 because it just is so much hope. There was such desperation. And yet hope came in God. And in their hopelessness, I just said, you know what? I want you to go read Lamentations chapter 3. I want you to read Lamentations chapter 3. And I just want you to underline every part that infuses you with even a glimmer of hope. I pray in that conversation on the phone that they saw me as a friend that offers spiritual strength. And then you need a friend. And these are always the hardest ones. You need a friend that will tell you the truth. You need a friend that will tell you the truth. We each need a Nathan in our life that will say, you know what? You might need to look at that. You might need to look at that. Because Proverbs 12.26 The godly give good advice to their friends, the wicked lead them astray. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Proverbs 22, 24 and 25, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Romans 5, 10, for, our since, for since our friendship with God was restored by Jesus while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of Jesus. Listen to me. Every friendship ends up somewhere. Few friendships end there on purpose. And so, I've got a group of friends. And they're scattered all over the place. And we have a date every couple weeks on Google Meet because we're scattered all over the place. And uh, we haven't approved in the budget that private jet for me to fly around that we'll probably never approve, right? Thanks, Ken. Um, and so we, we meet every other, every, every other week. And it's a 50-minute call, and this past week it went two and a half hours which is great when friends respect and honor your time. But that's not the point, okay? 
But um, when, when, I was, when I was picking this group of friends and kind of asking them to be my friends, I realized a couple of things about them. And I, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago because um, they did a video and all that, all that stuff and you got to see some of their faces. But you know, you know something about those friends that I have? We don't all believe the same things. We don't all like the same things. Um, I got Chipotle on the way down a couple weeks ago in the Baltimore airport and was really excited because our Chipotle around here is never open. And so I got in the truck, and my friend was like, hey, how was, your, how was your trip down? I was like, it was amazing. I got Chipotle in the Baltimore airport, and he went, ugh, Chipotle, gross. And I'm like, bro, you need Jesus. <laughs> like, we can pray right now. And, um, and, and so we don't, we don't agree on everything. We don't believe on everything but I want what they have. And they would say the same thing about me. Like, we don't agree with everything that Travis says. We don't agree with everything that Travis eats, clearly. But there's something in Travis that I want. And that's how, that's how you look for friendships. That's how you look for friendships. As you sit and say, you know what? I may not line up with that person fully, but I want what they have. I want to be around them. I want to spend some time with them. I want to ask them for coffee. I want to be like that person. Because the truth is, and we did a whole sermon series on this a few years ago, and this is, this is true, it's proven, we become the five people closest to us. We become most like the five people closest to us. And so if you, if you evaluate your relationships right now and you're like, man, I'm not sure, I'm not really sure I want to be, be that, then you should probably evaluate that. But also, let me ask you, what type of friend are you being? Are you telling the truth? Are you giving spiritual strength? Are you making the people around you better? Are you making people around you better? So, Instead of walking around and kind of gauging and looking at folks and saying, will you like me? I'm handsome. I've got good eyes. Maybe the question we should ask is, how can I love you? How can I love you? How can, I, how can I fulfill the call of God for His church in loving one another as He and the Father love one another? There's a lot of one another's in Scripture. I'm going to ask the worship team to come because I want to kind of close with this. And they're going to close us with a song. But there's one another's in the, in, in the Scriptures. And I just want to read these over you and kind of challenge us with this as we close. John 13, 34. 
love one another. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. Romans 5.7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Romans 15.14, instruct one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. Ephesians 4.2, bear with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. Forgive one another. Are our relationships defined with love, devotion, acceptance, instruction, or telling the truth, service, bearing, forgiveness? Are our relationships defined with those things? Now, I know because we're in a room full of people, and more than that, we're in a room full of people that are somewhat acquainted with church. Even if this is your first morning in a church service, welcome. You are now acquainted with church. I can tell you, most of the churches aren't as weird as we are. That might be encouraging to you. You might be a weirdo that fits right in. Hallelujah. We welcome you. Okay? Um, But I know that at the core of most of our relationship struggles is trust. And so you may be sitting in this room and you may say, Pastor Pastor Travis, listen, that's great. I recognize I need those people in my life, but I can't trust another person with my heart. I can't put myself out there. I I I can't do this. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard for me. Let me tell you, I guess the best way that I know how to tell you is I see you. I get it. I get it. Betrayal is real. Backstabbing is there. And I don't want to minimize that whatsoever. But my question for you is this. Are you willing to pray that God would help you love again? Trust again. Reach out again. Are you willing to sit and say, you know what? I went through that really hard thing. And I don't know how much I've got left in me. But whatever I've got left, I want to be like David, where I messed up. There's probably some things I could have done differently in the situation. And I want to try again. Because if I'm still here, that must mean God's still got a plan for me. And so are you willing to pray a prayer and say, God, you know what? I need your help trusting again. I need your help trusting again. And I just want to pray that with you this morning. Because I can tell you right now, that that's real. How's that? And let's move from a relationship status of it's complicated to I know exactly who God's called me to be. And I'm going to be it. Can we pray together? God, I pray that you would help us to forgive, help us to be forgiven, help us to trust. And God, as we sing a song that's all about surrender, God, I pray 
that we'd put it down. That we'd put the anger down, the frustration, the things that keep us from opening up to one another. And that, God, we would embrace forgiveness. We would embrace love. We would embrace peace. We would embrace instruction and truth. But God, also that we would do the same for others. To be that as you lead us in our relationships with others. And so God, use this this morning to show us, most of all, that we're not alone. And God, that we need your help. In Jesus' name I pray.